Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. meaning to point this out for a couple episodes now and maybe i have so correct me if stop me if i've said this before but i love the intro to ancient aliens have i talked about this before no no you mean like the the, the spacey like where did they go yes i love it because it starts almost incredibly defensive where it's like millions of people around the world believe we were visited by aliens and it's like you don't have to you don't have to start by being like, look, I know this premise is weird, but lots of people believe us, okay? <laughs> like, it, it, the fact that it starts that way is so funny every time. Starts like, hear me out. Yeah, exactly. It's like, look, I'm not crazy. So many other people believe this too. Millions, in fact. Oh, yeah. <sighs> it's so good. Um, So we're pulling in, like, in this one, we're pulling in one of the big ones. We're pulling um, in one of the big ones from our logo, too, from yeah. our graphic. Another one for the and books. And also, I know that you're a really big fan of emojis. I so, am a fan of emojis. Uh, this one has its own emoji. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's fun. And Maybe I found, we can use it in the episode title. Yeah, I found this out because uh, apparently when they were making Unicode, Japan uh, has, like, a fake MOA statue as like uh it's in front of like a big tokyo subway station okay. so it's kind of iconic and since all these were first designed to be hyper local for japanese people this uh so it's actually a moai statue in front of a japanese subway station but now we can use it for this fantastic well that's good i also know have you ever played mario odyssey on i the have Nintendo Switch? played it i haven't finished it but i have played it they're one of the earlier levels within the desert they've got these big big like face guys who have sunglasses and when scutch drew sunglasses on our little logo that's what it reminds me of is those little mario guys yeah so you know what i'm talking about yeah um so welcome to it's probably not aliens hey welcome everyone we like to start the show as if we don't know we're recording and then suddenly you walk in the room and we're like oh oh, oh that's right we're doing a podcast uh, <laughs> hi how's it going my name is scott nicewander i know nothing about anything my name is tristan Johnson and I am a person who can't stop turning over rocks until I basically hate myself and the world. And I have the hair of a UFO expert. So you sure do. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Giorgio or something? Giorgio Sukalos. Very <sighs> the Greekest name. I'm starting to remember everyone's names now. And I think that's a bad sign. I think <laughs> that is a sign that I'm too into this, this sphere of, of uh, ancient astronaut influence. Let's call them. Yeah, fair. 
Uh, so this show, we are going through claims of, uh, we're starting with the ancient astronaut theories, going through ancient aliens, the popular history channel show. And we uh, talk about various claims made and what we can use to learn about what actually it might be besides aliens yeah. and learn about cultures and history and stuff. Yeah. What is this? Episode seven now? I, I feel like you get the premise. We're here. We're talking about ancient aliens. We're talking about theories about the ancient civilizations. And we're learning a lot about them. Mostly me. I'm learning a ton about them. Tristan knows all of this stuff off the top of his head. Mm-hmm. He just, he's, he's just soaked in so much information about, you know, the past that he can just spit it out rapid fire. For example, <laughs> Tristan, tell me about these statues. Well, <laughs> so this is the big episode we're going to do about the Moai and Rapa Nui and Easter Island. Uh, probably like the most go-to thing when people talk about like ancient alien theories because they're like mm-hmm. big mysterious statues that everybody recognizes. So it's a common go-to. It's not a Nazca line where the only people who talk about it in big numbers are people who study ancient alien stuff specifically. Mm-hmm. But this is a thing that if you were to like probably list like the top 10 most iconic things on earth made by humans, <laughs> you'd probably yes. put this on there. The, the, the This the, one's on there. The statues of Easter Island. That and probably, you know, pyramids, obviously. I think that's a pretty big one. Obviously, the Grand Canyon was man-made. Let's see. What was his name again? that one. Yeah, the guy that drug his axe through the ground and made it. Paul, Paul Bunyan. Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. That was man-made. So that's a pretty big one. Thanks, Paul. Good job. So the theory, and this also is like building on Eric Von Daniken's work, Chariot of the Gods, who we've talked about very much times. But uh, this is one of those situations where in the 1960s, when a lot in 1970s, when a lot of these were written, we knew a lot less about these people than we did today. In fact, a lot of the work that went into understanding how these things worked was um, done in the 1970s. So when you try to make a show in the 21st century that's based on a book from the late 1960s and you're trying to do a little dance around all of the archaeological research that's happened in the 1970s, 80s and 90s and 2000s, yeah. uh, it gets a little complex. So the the way that the show sets it up is basically that there's this island with these humongo statues that the locals claim walked onto their little, uh, they're sort of on these like stone platforms called Ahu. And their thing is like, they're really heavy. How could anyone move them? Nobody has the answer because this island doesn't have any trees. So they kind of made like wooden sleds. Yeah, that was the thing too, is they showed clips of people in like the modern century or, or, or so and the, like people replicating how they think you know they could have moved these statues and the and it seems pretty good it seems pretty good to me but then the episode's like no nah, it couldn't have been that they couldn't have like used trees and logs and things to move them so well it's gotta be something else well at the time even actually uh i'd have to check the timelines i i'm sh- uh shirking my duty here by seeing if it lines up with the episode but in the kind of more recent past we've learned about the whole tree situation so as far as they knew at the time they made this there were no trees on easter island or very few uh so there's there's something to talk about that 
And so like the the claim is that we don't know how they were moved. It seems that you know that they've done some successful experiments, but the fact that there's not enough wood to have done that and that, you know, uh, European explorers who saw this island didn't see any trees. And also because the local oral tradition is that these things walked onto their platforms mm-hmm. must mean must mean that we're dealing with something something funky. So is this uh, as as the show says, is this anti-gravity technology? Brought about by the Birdman from space? See, that jump is so wild to me because if you're like, well, the the legend is that they walked there. So could they have floated there? That's like two different things. Why, why isn't the legend that an Italian plumber flew his hat at one of them and became one and walked them on. Like, why is that? <laughs> yeah. Not? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty bonkers. It was, it, it's a big stretch even for ancient aliens, but what it does do, uh, is it sets up a pretty interesting mystery about the real question. How does an Island that doesn't have any foliage on it or no trees, I guess, move these giant volcanic rock statues that weigh tons that are humongous and get them to move to these platforms all over the island. And there's hundreds of these, or at least there were at one point. Did they did they walk away? Is that like, you said that there were, so they're gone. Did they just like leave? We'll get to them. They've been, uh, okay. they've been uncreated. Um, so it's gonna be a sad episode. It's, right. Oh yeah, it's, it, it, I, there's some cool stuff. It also gets sad. And we don't have uh, much of a surviving history of this. So, and that we'll get into that a little bit as well. But mm-hmm. um, let's. This is an interesting mystery. Even yeah. even without thinking about aliens, it's an interesting mystery about how this could have happened. I agree. So there's a lot to to enjoy and dig into. So as far as we know, these things were built over about a 250 year period between 1250 and 1500, and that the style of them, uh, despite you know the idea of alien influence, the style of their design looks very similar to other Polynesian art designs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, about most of them are made from a rock called tuff, which is compressed volcanic ash. Because as you probably know, the Polynesian islands and the Pacific islands in general are primarily made up of volcanoes. There's a lot of volcanic activity there. So yeah, that makes sense. That's where a lot of islands come from. Uh, the stone is actually quite soft, but they were still there were still a lot of them. They were still really heavy and they were really big. Each one of them would have taken tons of resources to make, let alone move to wherever they needed to go. Uh, as far as we can tell, they were made by a specific kind of carving class that were specifically charged with the creation of these statues. Hmm, that's pretty cool. And near the main quarry where they were made, that's where about half of them are right now. It's a place called Ranu Raku. Ranu Raku. Ranu Raku. That's pretty fun. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't speak Rapa Nui. Actually, I don't think that many people do anymore. So it's a bit tough to go through this. But it's uh, you know Polynesian language group in general is it a bit tough t-u-f-f the 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 stone well yeah yeah we get it thanks everyone (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move on um all of the statues are placed upon stone platforms called ahu and they are all around the island specifically on the coast 
And yeah, without any like discussion, like the idea that anti-gravity is a move them was, you know, it's one of the more justified times that they've done something like this because the uh, fact that they were able to move these things is a legit humongous feat of human ingenuity and uh, determinism to the point where like it was a legitimate mystery for centuries. Is there any chance that they didn't move them and that this was just, there was already all these, all this stone surrounding the island and they just kind of carved the faces out of them well no <laughs> okay um, all right because i'm, just, I'm yeah. just giving alternate ideas here there is like because one of the things is that this is another interesting mystery about the moai is that there's an, an excavated quarry where these were dug out okay and from the symbols in the quarry or not from the symbols but from like the state of the quarry where several of them were in like various stages of production mm-hmm. there's this thought that it looks like it was a they stopped making these rather suddenly and we don't and for a long time we didn't know why we have we only have some speculation as to why now but it is a thing that we are thinking of they just they got bored they were Mm -hmm. like you know we have enough of these let's pack it in but it does seem like they were getting more ambitious one of the ones that was there that was not finished was a whopping 21 meters tall uh or 69 feet (laughs) nice yeah that's the biggest one that's, I think, been found. Holy cow, yeah. But uh, studying them, the general theory is that they're depictions of ancestors, so that these people practiced a form of ancestor worship, where those who uh, lived in their past who had died were kind of commemorated within these statues to then think that they were sort of the uh, mystical, like they carried like the mystical essence of these great ancestors from you know years past that makes sense so do you think that's why they stopped making that one so abruptly as they were just like well dave died we got to carve one out for dave and then as they were doing that they're like no actually just kidding dave was just sleeping like oh dang all right we'll stop on this one never mind that's on us dave we'll just pick this up again when you die yeah we'll pick this up again later dave just it all comes it comes for us all dave big dave it's just like (laughs) uh, he's just like twice as tall as everybody that's why they made the big one um but there's also theories too that these and these could also be uh, the same thing but like that these were used for fertilizing the soil sort of like what we saw with the Nazca lines where there was like they were doing sort of some form of attempting to coerce the soil to be more fertile so that they could grow things because I don't know if you've picked up on studying comparative mythology but uh, we do a lot of focus on trying to get the soil to make more plants come out. And as somebody who has tried gardening this year, I can tell yeah. you um, it's hard. And so, yeah, I wish I could have some, <laughs> some magical spirits to um, help me out as well. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to grow tomatoes indoors. That's an enormous challenge. I don't even know why I signed up for that. Every day is a disappointment. I uh, planted a bunch of plants to only have animals eat them all within like less than a week after we planted them. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. This is a sad episode. Yeah. Um, So then something happened in the 18th or 19th century between the time when the Europeans first saw these statues and then then they came back because uh, the first documentation of them was in the 18th century. They saw all the statues. They come back about 100 years later and not a single one of these statues was standing they had all been knocked over for one reason or another oh man so that's another thing that they don't know that i don't tell you is that when europeans started to more permanently settle on this island we started to see that all these were knocked over so all of them have been restored or brought back up in one form of another interesting yeah a lot of mysteries yeah 
And, and we, yeah, we don't know a ton about the Rapa Nui people too, which is an issue to the point where at the beginning of the episode, when they're introducing the Rapa Nui people, they claim uh, that they came on canoes and that they might have resorted to cannibalism during this sort of time of chaos that we're mentioning. So when they're talking about canoes, they're talking about the sophisticated Polynesian watercraft that after this episode aired, we'd probably be more familiar with, with the kind of stuff we saw in the Disney movie Moana. Ah, I see. There's sort of like an understatement about how sophisticated these craft were. And at the same time, also pretty important to know that like these people were trained and knowledgeable of extremely sophisticated Polynesian art of basically using the stars to navigate over oceans, which these are the only people that I know of who are able to navigate across oceans Mm -hmm. without you without inventing the compass, which is super impressive to the point where there's uh, not zero evidence that people from this uh, Polynesian ancestry likely arrived in the Americas at some point. There's Mm -hmm. a little bit of evidence that at least some some Polynesian people had made it as far as the um, as South America from living in these things. They might they were right up there with probably sometime after the original people coming to over the land bridge to before Columbus, like that kind of period that they might've done this. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like navigating seas without having invented the compass. Cause like in my head, my first thought was like, Oh, you just follow the North star. Oh wait, what would the North star mean to me if I didn't know, if I didn't have a compass, you know what (laughs) I mean? Like that means nothing to me. So that is impressive. Yeah. And they had a, a very good knowledge of a lot of constellations so they could navigate two places. It's a, it's, it's quite, it's a really impressive feat and Polynesian people don't usually get enough attention for the amazing feats that they did because they were some of the most accomplished sailors in the world. Well, they're getting recognition now on this podcast. Yeah. And also the accusations of cannibalism, while like I don't I can't verify the truth or falsity of that. It is often a thing that is just said about colonized people who lived in sort of a pre-industrial situation in order to emphasize their depravity and need for European colonization. Which is, you know, not the greatest thing to start the, the the thing with, but you know, here we are. Yeah, that makes sense, unfortunately. So the first thing that Ancient Aliens has said about these things is that they don't really know how they were made, but we know pretty much exactly how they were made. Like I said, the quarry site uh, shows a bunch of these moai that were abandoned partway through construction. So we have lots of examples of like different stages in their developments. We can almost see like all of the pieces and all the paces they went through to get built. Mm-hmm. And that the the tough, this uh, volcanic rock is actually very soft and can be broken with just like, you know, bashing it with stones. Yeah. So you can carve out the rough stone chunk over a period of about five or six years, which is still a lot of time to dedicate to just hunking out a car, like just bashing this thing until you can get like I, carving out this hunk of stone. I was not expecting you to say years. I was like five or six weeks. Yeah, that's not bad. Years? Yeah. These were a uh, pretty involved process. They used a tool called a tonki, which is sort of like a a stone rock breaking device. And yeah, you would just like go and you'd like uh, start hitting this stone thing on the stone 
until you create a groove and just keep working on it, keep working at it, keep working at it for mm-hmm. years. And eventually you can bring out a big hunk of the rock. And then eventually, like as you can pull it out, you can start working it and like turning it into whatever uh, shape you want to go for. Think of it like carving a boat out of a thing of stone. Like you just kind of go down the sides and then come down and then you'd be able to slide it out. Makes sense. And then that, then they would uh, they would chop, they would snap off the end after they were done with that. That makes sense. So that, that makes me think that the when you were talking about how there are like unfinished ones, it wasn't just like, a, oh, well, these are done in a couple of weeks. This is like, they like gave it a couple of years and we're like, eh, pass on this one. Well, we think that like they probably had like a whole assembly line going on and that something caused it to abruptly end. There's a good sign of like poli- that there was like religious political chaos on the island that we'll get into in a second. This is probably, this was not true at the time of the episode, probably, because this is kind of more recent research, but not that recent. So uh, I don't know where they were at the time, but we do know roughly how they were moved. What? Uh, we listened to the we listened to the oral traditions uh, about how they walked and there was some research done. And so and anti-gravity, anti-gravity. So the idea, the thing they say in the episode is that there are no trees on the island of of Easter Island. And that's mm-hmm. why they couldn't have made the sleds or any of the other things that they said they did to do it, which there are two things to look at, which is one, there there was a really good study of uh, pollen samples, ancient pollen samples on Easter Island, okay. where we did indeed discover that there was a point where there were trees on Easter Island. A lot of them. It was probably largely forested until uh, the Rapa Nui people showed up on the island. And they probably cut down all the trees to build buildings and to build sleds for these things. <laughs> Yeah, they made a lot of these things. They need a lot of sleds. The other thing, too, is that uh, the oral tradition does say that they walked these things or that these things walked onto their ahus. Mm -hmm. And they kind of (gasps) did. Mario. So so here's so here's the thing. What they would do is they would take ropes, Mm -hmm. uh, big ropes and put them around it on either side. And then they would have people pulling it. And what they would do is they would do this sort of chanting prayer. And they knew on certain lines to pull at alternating times. So uh, have you ever like when you're moving, tried to move like a really big, heavy dresser or something like that? Oh, yeah. And, and you know how you sort of walk it by moving one side and then the other, right? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a shimmy, kind of a dance a little bit. Yeah. So the theory is that they had teams of people with ropes on either side of these things, sort of using a song to coordinate their movements to walk the the statue onto its platform. Can I? It would have been very slow and agonizing and very physically demanding, but it's doable. Can I tell you that to me fits the description of walking way more than just having them float in the air and land on the, cause like, that's not what walking is. Walking isn't, you know, floating to where you want to be. It's the act of, it's like a physical movement. And you describing that sounds more like walking than any sort of anti-gravity thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing too, is that we seem to think of the island these uh these statues actually as like full like uh, just heads but they're actually not just heads they're mostly heads they have giant heads but they did have little bodies but one of the things is that because they chopped down all the trees to make these uh sleds for them to be on it caused uh, massive amounts of soil erosion on the island. And so a lot of them had their bodies buried in the soil. Oh, it's kind of sunk in. Yeah. That's really funny. That's like the, um, you ever seen that meme with the Pokemon Diglett where it's just the head sticking out and people always try to draw what they think is underneath it. And sometimes it's just a full muscular man body. Oh yeah. It's, it's just kind of like that. 
Yeah. And a lot of them had been knocked over. But like the fact that they're buried does show that like Easter Island has notorious soil erosion. Uh, it's one of the biggest like case studies of soil erosion for, I guess, geologists or whoever studies soil erosion. And that is also a pretty good way to have a sign like, hey, there probably was something on this island in the past that might have held the soil in place. And very often soil erosion is one of the number one things that shows that a place has been deforested. More evidence that trees were there. And so then that leads to like, okay, well, where are these people? Why did they stop? What happened? And this is the other part where Ancient Aliens gets real freaking fun, where they decided that uh, there's this thing called the Cult of the Birdman. Yes. Very fascinated by the Birdman. Yeah. So looking at the island, there are symbols of some sort of Birdman that seem to have shown up all over the island. And from what they can speculate is that the Birdman is not, in fact, the symbol of an alien, but is actually a entity by the name of Matatoa which is a symbol to represent the warrior class of the island. Hmm. So what archaeologists suspect is that the norm of the island was the sort of ancestor worship, which meant that the ancestors need to have these reservoirs for their mana, as the uh, as the people called it, to store sort of the, the gifted essence from these ancestors you needed to build these statues to commemorate them. And so they had this whole industry of making these statues to to get all the spiritual energy to keep the island nice and uh, in good shape. And that uh, this new cult that sort of moved away from the worship of ancestry and probably started to worship this this new figure, sort of like a mm. re new religious cult inside of the island, which likely led to a internal conflict and led to probably a religious upheaval, possibly war. And at some point, it seems that the Birdman cult probably was successful or at least got successful enough that at some point the Rapa Nui people had to stop making Moai and at least the tradition of making ah. the Moai statues ceased. Okay. So you're saying there's there's like a kind of almost civil war, not not necessarily a war fully, but like this kind of dispute mm -hmm. between this bird cult and these, these other groups of people who were making these statues to worship their ancestors and potentially Birdman won out. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Cool. Uh, and that's why we see all these symbols of this Birdman. And we also see not only that as there no statues or the statues were abruptly stopped, but a lot of them were toppled. And the ones that weren't toppled all had to have their noses carved into beaks to please the Birdman. I mean, Michael Keaton is not going to be satisfied unless you do something like that. Yeah. What does Michael Keaton think about the bird cult? Everyone tweet at Michael Keaton about this. I always find that the funniest thing about Michael Keaton's career path is that he did a movie making fun of the fact that he wants to superhero movie and ended up defining his career in a way that he didn't like. Yeah. And, and then he, he puts it in as being a fake superhero named Birdman. Yeah. Then the very next major role he takes is as a villain in a Spider-Man movie where he literally plays a Birdman. <laughs> That's true. He's former Bat, current Bird, Michael Keaton. That's his job now. What a legend, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's coming, I think he's coming back. I think, he, I think he's back to being a Batman in DC movies. So he made a movie that was like, man, being superheroes are really silly. Anyway, I'm going to cash 
in all these checks from Marvel and DC. Yes, please. It reminds me a lot of the sort of dark cycle of being a creator on the on the internet, but a creator in media in general, uh-huh. which is that you start off being a creative person who tries all sorts of different things until you find a thing that works. And then you can't stop doing the thing that works because it's the thing that's basically yeah. driving all of your popularity. And then there's always a phase where they think, oh, maybe I can try like branching out and trying something else. And you always see there's the phase where they branch off and try to do something else. And then you see at some point, the fact that it's not working makes them go back to doing the thing that that was the big thing that they wanted to do. And um, I've seen this with like, this arc happens with a lot of creators. I've seen this on TikTok because that just like moves so fast that like there's people creators like that. Yep. Well, <laughs> one, one of these days, I'm just going to get right back up and in front of the camera and just start being like, "Hey, everyone, welcome to Comic Misconceptions, the show that te- the the show about things you didn't think you knew about." Com- I can't even remember what I said anymore. Oh, this is a good sign. I'm healing. My brain is healing. I don't even remember how my signature saying went from back in the day. Nature is healing. Nature is healing. Anyway, this was a segment just for Tristan and I, who are both YouTube people. So <laughs> yeah. So to kind of continue on the story, there was uh, at some point in the history of the island, a major upset, political upset, which led to the toppling of the statues. The reason we know this is because a Dutch explorer by the name of Jacob Roggeveen. Whoa, uh, give, me that one more, island, give me that one more time, Tristan. Jacob Roggeveen. Uh, <laughs> I... I like that you read it like you were Dracula. That was my favorite part of it. That's uh, Dracula secretly Dutch. (laughs) A lot of people don't know that. So he visited the island in 1722 and he documented a lot of the Moai. He saw these statues and he was like, hey, take a look at this island with all these statues. But this wasn't an area that really saw hardcore colonization until like the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So when another person, Abel Hubert du Petit Trois, uh, in 1838 came to the wow. island. Wow. You, that was effortless. Well it's, done. And it's in a language that I can speak. <laughs> <laughs> When he arrived in 1838, they found that the statues were all knocked over. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, that was, yeah, 1868. Okay. And that there's maybe some partially buried ones. So yeah, asking the people on the island, the oral history says that there's a story of a clan pushing down a Moai in the night, but refers to earth shaking. So there's this thought that it was either this political calamity that led to like a war or that it might have been an earthquake that knocked them all over. Where there's volcanoes, there's going to be there's going to be earthquakes. That's true. Yeah. So like the Pacific Islands do get a lot of earthquakes as well. Probably the biggest one in recent history would be the Fukushima, the earthquake yeah. that caused the tidal wave that led to the Fukushima plant uh, melting down. But uh, and also, you know, as an American, you would know that the Pacific coast gets hit with earthquakes quite a bit. So Pacific is very seismically active. I don't even live there, but I hear about it constantly because I have a lot of friends out there in California and they'll just wake up and be like, yep, another earthquake today. Yeah. So since the 1800s, about 50 of them have been re-erected and some of the ones that were knocked over have been put in like museums and things like that. So... I've actually only seen one of them that was on a sort of moving uh, museum exhibit. Let me ask a question that I feel like I'm going to get a disappointing answer for. When the museums got these statues, it was with the consent of the people who made them, right? So that's difficult to do because there are not many, if any, people who are the actual descendants of the people who made these still alive. Okay. 
Um, there are a few that have uh, ancestry linked to these people, but the actual cultural continuity of the people on the island has been more or less destroyed. But mm. uh, these, there is a group of people who, since the 1970s, have sort of been dedicated to the study, preservation, and maintenance of the Moai. And so they primarily manage the rotating exhibits and things like that. So they're the most like it is not being run by people who are doing this for profit. It's most definitely people who are invested in maintaining the visibility and like, you know, funding the preservation of these statues. So at least like I believe it was started, though, by uh, I think. Oh, yeah. Here's here's the guys right here. I wrote it down in my notes. Well done. By a guy named Willem Malloy, uh, who's from the United States. Thanks, Willem. Could have had a cooler name, but that's all right. So here's the reason why there that that is the state of the island. And that is uh, starting in 1862, as the location of the island became more mainstream, the slave trade started to come and the Rapa Nui people were victims of slave raids where they were being captured by Europeans and sold into slavery. Not only did that mean that people were being kidnapped and taken away to enter into servitude, but it also meant much like with the Native Americans in the Americas, they lacked resistance to European diseases. So widespread illness started to go through as disease and capture sort of decimated the island, which didn't have a huge population to begin with. They started to lose a lot of their um, political structure and leadership. Mm -hmm. And then uh, missionaries started showing up on the island and basically converted the entire population to Christianity, which meant that the native Easter Islanders basically lost all form of their cultural, like their culture was essentially destroyed. That's so sad. Yeah. This is Folks, there's, this is a sad episode. I I know we started off making lots of jokes, but this guy's got real bum, real bummer. Yeah, Native Easter Islanders used to have practices that were very common in Polynesian societies, uh, ritual tattooing, body paints, uh, distinctive style of clothing, all of which over just a couple generations had been thoroughly eradicated mm. in order to convert them to Christianity and follow a more European cultural history. And a lot of their old buildings, a lot of their sacred built objects, uh, anything to do with their old religion were essentially destroyed. And so there's basically a uh, little record of this, of the culture that built the Moai. That's you know what's frustrating about that to me is that this all of this whole all of it stems like this whole episode this whole theory of, of it being alien stems from the fact that there's just no real record and so it's people guessing and their guesses and theories are about aliens because of course they are but it's like the reason why there's not many records that have survived is because of it's not because of anything mystical or magical or technologically advanced like aliens. It's just a whole bunch of colonizing white people. <laughs> yeah, even um, even in Europe with like Stonehenge, which we'll definitely be doing an episode on Stonehenge. So yeah. we'll come back to this. Yeah. But even Stonehenge, the reason why there's mysteries about it is because the Druids that built it had their culture destroyed by the Romans when the Romans started showing up. So it's... <sighs> It's a similar story, but um, at this point, their island, uh, a lot of them were removed. A lot of the island was converted into farmland. And today there are no pure-blooded Rapa Nui people. Uh, There are only a few individuals who have claims of having ties to the original people who live there. 
And the island is currently now part of Chile, technically. So pretty much all of the living history of the Rapa Nui people has been destroyed. And so all of the stuff that we do know comes from sort of accounts from Europeans who talk to the Easter Islanders and also from archaeological explorations of the region. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, let's talk about William Malloy. Let's talk about old Billy Boy. So William Malloy is an archaeologist or was an archaeologist who spent uh, several decades trying to do a strong, like uh, basically doing the major project to try and study and analyze and try to understand the nature of these Moai statues, mm-hmm. including the transportation and um, the re- <laughs> the erection of the islands okay. of, the, of the statues. Gotcha. These were phallic statues. And his work led to numerous, uh, now he drew a lot of attention towards these uh, I- these statues and has led to a strong amount of people who have been investigating and restoring the Moai. To the point where in 1972, uh, Rapa Nui National Park and the Moai were labeled as part of global human heritage. And when UNESCO put together its list of world heritage sites in 1994, the Moai were part of it as a statement that these are part of the human cultural heritage that are in need of protection, much like the Nazca lines. That's awesome. And the Nazca people are another example of like, we filled in aliens with a civilization because we don't have them around to tell us about it themselves. It's that's so infuriating to me just because it's like, imagine, imagine if I, if like I walked into your house and then just like shooed you out of it, like goodbye, goodbye. And then all I was like, man, I wonder what Tristan was like. Well, I could have asked him or I'll just come up with a whole bunch of theories about what he was like based on, you know, based on his stuff that's laying around. Cause you know, he's not here anymore. And really, whose fault is that? Mine? No. It's someone else's. This is this is turning into a pattern because we don't really know. The Druids didn't have a written language. So we don't know how they made Stonehenge, although now we've done a lot of research to find out how. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ancient Egyptians, uh, for a long time, we did not have translations of hieroglyphics. We did not know how to translate the Egyptian language until uh, the Rosetta Stone and all of that Rosetta stuff. Rosetta Stone. Even I knew that. That's a good, that's a tidbit that even I knew. Mm-hmm. See, I said at the beginning, I don't know anything, but I knew that one. And we also didn't have a really good key on the Maya language until about the 1970s. Starting to see like where we're putting all of our aliens um, all of a sudden. Yeah, it's a bit of a pattern. Uh, all the places where there's no like writing to to explain all how these things happen. Yeah, so we talked about the the genocide and absolute destruction of the Rapa Nui culture, but also humans just in general suck, and uh, the Moai are not immune to human suckage in general. Uh, there's been two incidents of human destruction of Moai statues, uh, these these priceless works of human history. I, uh, in 2000, <laughs> I really don't want it to be some sort of like, I, I feel like I know where you're going with this. Please don't tell me it was like tourists. The first one is a Finnish tourist. <laughs> okay, great. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, turns out tourism is one of the worst things to, to heritage sites. Mm-hmm. In 2008, a Finnish tourist chipped off a piece of one of the ears of the Moai. What are you doing? And was fined $17,000 in damages and banned from the island for three years. Only three years? I feel like you should, uh, that should... That's a life sentence for me. Get off this island permanently, please. You are banned from this institution. You and your children and your children's children for three months. 
<laughs> for three years and that's it. And last year, this is the worst one. In last year in 2020, an unoccupied truck rolled into one of the Moai, destroying the statue and causing, quote, incalculable damage. Is didn't didn't cars destroy some of the Nazca lines too? Yeah, we found out several years later that uh the Dakar rally uh destroyed a chunk of them as well as a if I remember it was like a mining truck or something like that also drove over some by accident. We got to stop letting cars into these places. Ugh. Turns out as everything in the world is being uh plugged into global capitalism that all of the things that are fragile and precious in the world are going to be run over by cars. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the main thesis of this podcast. Yeah, because every like we, we learn about this one and like when we learn about Rapa Nui people, the Moai and this like absolutely unique thing that is like part of what it means to be human. And then we find then it's just like we find out that these things are being destroyed are are, are like under threat because uh, we just can't stop messing with things. But yeah, the reason why that all these things, the how these statues were made and what they were for was a mystery was because the people who could tell the story were largely wiped out. But even so, archaeologists did show that they did exist well within the political and spiritual world of the island and how they lived. And of course, this comes up again, just because something's impressive doesn't mean it's aliens. It doesn't mean it's aliens. Just because you can't figure out how to do it doesn't mean that other people could not have figured out how to do it just because they're not you. Yeah. And instead, we got a story about how these absolutely irreplaceable, unique, beautiful creations of humanity we learn about uh, like these these amazing things that exist in the world and we can kind of just consider ourselves blessed that humans were able to make something so cool and unique. And it's also a story of environmental destruction and colonization. And tourists. This is what happens when you do a podcast with a host of Step Back History. <laughs> <laughs> everything, ev- the problem of everything is colonization and capitalism and just tourists in general. I want to, can I just ask about the tourists again? They just chipped off a piece of it. It's not the cool part about them is the whole is the whole of them. Like if you chip off a piece of it and you just say, hey, this is from one of those statues, these Moai statues, someone's going to look at you and just go, dude, that's a rock. That's just a rock. What are you talking about? Yeah. And so they just destroyed a piece of it just to have something that no one could identify as like other than just it being a rock. Yeah, and this is actually like not an uncommon story. Like a lot of the destruction that co- to historical sites that happens from tourism come from uh, people going there and taking priceless things from the island so that they can take it home as like a memento. So if you're ever going on a trip, uh, don't do that. Don't, don't do take that. things home hey, with you. Hey, I see you packing your cargo shorts. Do not pack those cargo shorts. You don't need them. You don't need to fill your pockets with things that you're going to steal from, from historically important places. That's fine. The other thing that's kind of part of this as well is that a lot of these places, like like places like Easter Island and Egypt and, uh, you know, Quintana Roo, the um, the state in Mexico that has a lot of the um, Maya population. These are places that experience a lot of poverty. And yeah. tourism is one of the like a lot. There's some countries like Egypt, for example, where tourism is like one of the biggest parts of their eco- economic GDP. And so 
you have this thing where you have countries that are struggling economically that are then uh, offering up the destruction of literally priceless, literally irreplaceable parts of human legacy to be looked at by people from rich countries in order to get our money yeah. over there. And um, God damn, this makes me never want to go on a trip ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And I don't mean to keep hammering in the the tourism part so much. I mean, obviously, that is a problem, as we've discussed. But obviously, the original, the initial problem here was colonization. Yes. And it was just everything that spiraled out from that. I've been reading a lot about museums, and I've been reading a lot about where museums get their stuff. And I would say if there's any one piece of advice that I would give people who frequent museums, especially for... For things like this, for artifacts from ancient civilizations, uh, one big question that you could always ask yourself is if the civilization, if the people where a certain artifact came from, did they hand that over willingly to the museum? Because chances are they probably didn't, and chances are they want those things back. Yeah, there was a really great description of the British Museum as the world's largest open-air crime scene. Yeah. And there was <laughs> this really a really great way to event from a few months ago where a uh, Nigerian activist uh, went to Paris and just, just went to one of like his country's uh, you know, historical cultural artifacts were being held on display in a Parisian museum. And he just took it and tried to walk out with it. Good. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, he got arrested, but uh, he was he, he was intending to get arrested. It was sort of a, it was, yeah. he was trying to make a statement. Yeah. He was trying to get his stuff back. So yeah, uh, I don't know if we'll get into the politics of museums and returning stuff to people, but yeah, it's another big thing. So that's, that's the tragic tale of Easter Island and the Rapa Nui people and the Moai. See, here's the thing. We talked a lot about the Moai statues and Easter Island, and, and Eb, there's a lot of alien lore tied to it. And I get it because it's cool. Like, it's it's cool to think of, of all the, like you said, like there's a lot of mysteries around it. And I get that it's interesting to like try to come up with answers to these mysteries. But yeah, again, like aliens just is not as... It doesn't grip me as much as, as I guess, other people learning about as much of, of the real history as we can today through everything that you've researched. It's a far more interesting tale contextually to me, even if it is a, uh, an ultimately a sad one. And so, you know, one of the recurring themes of this podcast is sometimes there is history out there that we can learn from. Sometimes it's just as cool as aliens, sometimes cooler, and in this case, a little sadder. Yeah. So if you heard that uplifting, soul-affirming story and you thought, man, I could really use more of that, um, you should probably follow this podcast or check out at It's Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. And if you want more people, if you want to improve more people's days by getting their earballs attached to these stories, uh, you could tell your friends about this show or Please give do. us your four star reviews of it on your platform of choice. We don't want to be five stars. We only want to be four stars. I feel like that's going to come to hurt us once we start getting one star reviews from the people who really believe in ancient astronaut theories, but that's fine. <laughs> we'll be the most three star podcast at that point. Two and a half star. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Tristan, where can people find you on the internet? I am Tristan PJ on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Step. 
back. How about you, Scott? You can follow me at Scott Nicewander on Twitter. That's just my name. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel called Nerd Sync, uh, where I talk about comics and superheroes and other nerdy things through a lens of, you know, history and art and culture and things like that. Nerdy stuff. You get it. Until next time, friends, the truth is probably out there. Somewhere, maybe. We'll keep looking. (laughs) 